Children should not work for our affection. Christian parents imitate God. Imitating God, well, one way to do this is by loving our children just because they are our children. Now, we know that our children aren't perfect, and there is a time to deal with their imperfections, but love should be the uninterrupted expectation in a child's life. And when it is, you have a foundation that you are laying that shapes them toward God-centered maturity. Well, of course, if we don't love our children well, we will be like the four complicated kids in this story. I want to share with you four kids whose parents did not love them appropriately or properly, and it was the primary shaping influence that sent them on a trajectory to a most difficult life. As I share that story, I also want to give you some practical solutions that you can implement so that you and I, that we are not like their parents. And so I trust that this podcast will be beneficial. It'll be instructive. May the Holy Spirit convict us as He convicted me as I was working through it, and may it bring practical applications that can transform a few homes. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast that drops weekly, midweek, where I share an article to whosoever will. And each article has this podcast, Your Daily Drive, attached to it. If you want to read what I'm sharing with you, I would love for you to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this article, When You Make Your Child Work for Your Affection. And you can read every word that I'm going to share with you. There's also a video inside, embedded inside this article. There are multiple links here as well. As always, you can use our articles as long-term homework assignments where you can benefit from the actual article, but then you can Jump on these embedded links, and you can go throughout our Sanctification Center, which is our website, and you can benefit from 30 more articles that's tied somehow to to this one here. And so please enjoy. All of our content is brought to you by those who faithfully support our ministry. Now, with that in mind, I do want to thank our supporters this January the 4th, a little about a month ago we were able to hire our 12th team member, Sharon Wallace. And we do thank God uh, that she has come on board. Uh, She is working full-time. She has one month under her belt, and she's under like a six-month process to where she can get up to running speed. She's learning a lot. She's realizing that there are many things happening in this ministry. But my point here is I want to thank you all who underwrite this ministry. We do a lot. We have a lot going on, and that is a joy-filled statement. I'm just, I thank God that we are able to do what we do, but we can't do it without you, and, and we needed some help. We need more help, actually, but I thank God for the help that we have, and I thank you for your support to where Sharon can work 40 hours a week, and you're going you're gonna to feel the benefit of that as we, we move along, as it relate, releases me to focus on the two things that I am supposed to focus on, which is content creation and leadership development. And as we we build out our team, uh, it will permit me to do that, and, and that is a, a good win for all of us. And so thank you so much. I'm glad to have Sharon on board. 
Right before I started this podcast, I received an email from Delaware. They're asking me to come up and do a men's meeting some point this year. Well, Lord willing, we will we will do that. And and I, I'm glad that they asked. Last week we received a note to do a conference in Michigan. We're going to do that around mid-September. We also have a conference coming up in mid-April, which is a marriage conference. And then I have a a Zoom conference uh, that's going to be in Belgium. And so we were shut down virtually all of last year. We had to cancel a lot of conferences. And so things are opening up. And so right now we have Florida and Belgium and Delaware and Michigan. Uh, we Hopefully we'll have Delaware on the books. And so if you want me to come and speak, please just let us know, and we want to do that. We, we'll consider it. We'll try to make it happen. All you have to do is ask. So send us an email and ask, and let's start working on that now. And I just hope that, that this year that, that it will be better that way, and we'll be able to hit the trail and get back out there and, and start uh, doing these conferences uh, and so thank you. Thank you for asking uh, Delaware, and I'm sure somebody will share and will be responding to you quickly, and we'll see uh, if we can make that happen. If you want to read the article, when you make your child work for your affection, please do that. Now, the way that I want to get into this is I want to share with you uh, four lives, four complicated kids, and then I'll start unpacking that, and I want to give you some practical application as we move toward the end of this podcast. And so we'll start with Biff because Biff is always worth a, a good story. Biff had to work for his father's affection, He's 44 now. He told me the only time his dad would talk to him was when they were leaning over the hood of a car. By the way, that is a true story. I don't remember the gentleman now. It was more than a decade ago when I was really counseling hot and heavy, but I do remember that one snippet from that counseling session, and the gentleman was, I think, like in his 50s at the time, and he was crying. Well, in this account, the only time that Biff's dad would talk to him was while they were leaning over the hood of a car, and the conversation was a request for a ranch. And that simple request was a cherished morsel of attention. When the teen years rolled around, Biff was not so easily satisfied. He quit trying to earn his dad's love. Biff didn't care about cars anyway. Coincidentally, he fell in love with Mabel, the seemingly perfect solution for a man craving affection. And then there's Marge. Marge always felt her dad's affection. She rarely did anything to displease him. He was a critical man, but that did not matter to her because Marge had a high IQ, which led to good grades. The thing that mattered most to her dad All she needed to do to earn his love was to make A's. Of course, that created a problem for Marge's sibling. Her brother, Bart, he was another story. You see, he didn't care about school, which put a target on his back for his dad's critical arrows. 
And so Biff had to earn his dad's affection, and he quit trying. Marge did earn her dad's affection, but it was earning through her straight A's. And, of course, Bart, he was the one that was criticized. You see, Marge always got off scot-free, and that generated a root of bitterness in Bart because his dad never appreciated him. And similar to Biff, after a while, Bart quit trying. The teenage years were beckoning. And there was love awaiting. What his dad would not do for him, there was a teen cutie willing to step into the insatiable void that was widening inside of Bart's heart. Biff and Mabel ended up divorced. Biff was a walking love cop who demanded Mabel's affection. His unquenchable desire became demanding enough to be annoying. Now, Mabel, she's not the innocent victim here in totality. She had her desires too, which made for an uncomfortable, self-serving, competitive relationship as each one expected and demanded that they fill up each other's love cup. You see, they never realized how they were mutually using each other during their dating years because they had unlimited time. They had undistracted time for love cup filling. But three years later, and or three children later, and the pressures of work, it cut into their unlimited and undistracted couple cup-filling time, which led to more forceful demands for affection from each other. Mabel checked out of the marriage while staying in it. Biff, well, he fed his demands for attention through a co-worker, which is why they ultimately ended up divorced. Marge the kid with a high IQ. Well, she is married, but she's not happy. The affirmation she received from her dad, it ended when she married Bryce. He never took up the mantle of encouragement. Bryce said, I'm just not the encouraging type. That's not my style. What Marge assumed would always be given to her was not. She had to work for her dad's affection, which she was able to get because she was able to to give him the straight A's that he demanded. She had to work for her husband's affection, but she came up short. And so Marge lives in a low-grade disappointment and has resigned that her marriage will never be anything close to God's best. She decided to become the point person for her church's Bible study programs for women. Marge enjoys a few, quote-unquote, deep relationships with her friends, which is satisfying enough. At least that is how she has convinced herself to believe. But after drawing her out about this, she did say, Well, if I can't have a spiritual leader in the home, I can enjoy my surrogate husband's in our Bible study groups. Now, her brother Bart, who never earned their dad's affection, he has been married twice, addicted to porn, angry with God, and can't seem to hold down a job. His neediness has worsened as the years have passed. Now, all four of these people, Biff and Mabel and Marge and and Bart, 
They have four things in common in a sequential order. Thing number one is that God has wired all of us to desire and to benefit from community. There is something in us as being made in the image of God that we want belonging. Sometimes we call it the herd mentality. But in order to image God, God is a community of Father, Son, and Spirit. We're made in that image, and so there is a natural longing, innate longing in us to want to be with other people. And within that community, there is a logical, common sense predisposition to want to be liked and loved and affirmed by the people within the community. This is normal. And you should not penalize yourself. Uh, the two great commandments is to love God and love others as you love yourself. There is, a, there is an understanding that we should love each other. And so God wired them to benefit from community, which, is, which, which also includes a predisposition for love. Number two, they long for affection and affirmation from their parents. That is the logical outflow. The only community that children know in the beginning are their parents, their family. And so if that is the community and there's a predisposition to want to be accepted within that community, which is normal, then number two, Biff, Mabel, Marge, and Bart long for affection and affirmation from their parents. And then number three, their parents did not provide it until they earned it. And then number four, as you might imagine, their desires for love. What was normal, well, it, what God put in us, it turned into demands, and it strained all of their future relationships, or at least the ones that were most vital to them. And so those are the four common things with Biff, Mabel, Marge, and Bart. Now, as I take, go into the second part of this podcast, I want to talk about several things. Number one, what, can, what we can learn Number two, what parents can learn. Number three, what dads can learn. And then number four, I want to make some practical applications. Okay, so what can we learn from this story, from these ideas? God wants us to know that he loves us. And he does not base it on what we do or don't do for him. To enter the kingdom of God requires no work on our part. It is a gift. Love is a free, unearned gift from the Father, a worldview that is a hard lesson to learn for those trained to earn affection like Biff and Mabel and Marge and, and Bart. There is a world of difference between a, a legalistic, always working for love mindset and a grace-centered world that assumes and practically practices love. Adam and Eve, the leaders of the legalist, they struggled similarly to Bill, Mabel, Marge, and Bart. As soon as they sinned in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, they tried to figure out how to fix their problem by working their way back to God. The Lord wanted them and the Lord wants us to know that our works will never satisfy Him as far as establishing and keeping a relationship with Him. He loves us freely. 
to be free in God and undemanding in our relationships is to live in the knowledge that the only works God requires are the works of His Son. Our job is to come to Him empty-handed, embracing otherworldly, soul-satisfying affection. The individual who does not know this will always be posturing to discern how to manipulate and maintain love through self-reliant contrivances. So thing number one, what can we learn? God loves us. It is a gift of grace based on the works of His Son, not ours. Number two, what parents can learn. Every parent must take their cues from God the Father. Think about a child's predisposition for love, made this way, a desire to be accepted, to, to want to be in a community knowing that they're accepted by that community, a very normal, nothing wrong with expectation attitude. But then you throw in the mind-altering effects of total depravity, And what you're going to have is an insecure, vulnerable child that needs carefully crafted, God-centered discipling, knowing that your child is vulnerable, broken, totally depraved, but yet craves acceptance, belonging, then you have to carefully craft God-centered discipleship for that child. Just like God the Father gives us wise care, your children will need your wise care through the dispensing of love and affection and affirmation. If we do not care for our children wisely, we will mess them up in ways that could take decades to repair. Just like Biff and Mabel and Marge and Bart struggled because of what I am describing here. You see, they were born idolaters like you and me, totally depraved. And they lived with parents who did not understand how to shepherd their idolatries and to give them a sense of belonging and giving them hope that eventually leads to God who loves in the most perfect ways. The depravity problem inside of them had worsened because of their parental selfishness and parental ignorance. You see, there are two possible missteps here. I'm talking about what parents can learn. There are two missteps that you can make, that I can make as a parent. Number one, you can give a child your attention only when they meet your requirements, your preferences, your expectations. If that is when they receive your affection, then that is a misstep. Number two, You can choose not to encourage your child and never learn the habit of regularly encouraging your child. And those are two missteps, what parents can learn. Now, what dads can learn, point three. It's important to understand that dads, fathers, when children first learn a word, they assume that all things within that category have the same name. Follow with me here for just a moment. When children first learn a word, like father, they assume that all things within that category have the same name as they're the same. This concept is called mutual exclusivity. Let me give you an illustration. If you call something you drink a liquid, if you call something you drink a beer, and you tell a child that we call all drinks beer... Because they can't divide a category into individual parts, 
mutual exclusivity, then every liquid is a beer to them. Until they learn that there is water and juice and soda and milk and more. Here's the point. A father is a category. It is the first and the most profound imitation that a child will see of God the Father. A child cannot separate two fathers and think of them differently. All liquid is beer, in my illustration. All fathers are like whoever their father is. Mutual exclusivity. A child will always map his dad over how he thinks about the Lord, whether good or bad. If you make your child earn your affection, you can guarantee he will struggle similarly with God. You can easily set your child up to be a legalist by withholding your love and affirmation or if you meet it out sparingly when they jump through your acceptable hoops. Either way will lead to legalism. When some children come to God, they have to relearn Him. If being loved, even when you have been bad, has not been your experience, you'll have to reevaluate how you think about your Heavenly Father. There are no hoops to jump through. Only a cross for you to cling to, which says he loves you just because you are his child. He accepts you, not based on who you are, but based on who his son is. The title of this podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you, When You Make Your Child Work for Your Affection, I shared the stories of four complicated kids and the fallout that came with them. And then I talked about what we can learn. God loves us. What parents can learn. We need to imitate God. And then with more specificity, what dads can learn, this idea of mutual exclusivity, that children take their cues of what a father is through their father. And now as I wrap up this podcast, I want to give you some application that I hope will help you and guide you to continue on with what you are doing or or to change some things that you need to address. One of the most practical things a parent can do for their children is to love them just cause. Just because. You don't need a reason. Just love them because they are your children. You see, God loves us just cause. Because we are His. The Lord does not come to us and say, If you make all A's, Marge, I will love you. He does not place conditions and requirements on His affection. He is crazy in love with you because of the works of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you love your children just because they are your children? Not because of anything they have done. Number two, have they somehow picked up on your subtle messages that if they perform such and such a way, you will be happy with them? Number three, maybe you have been more overt. Perhaps it is clear, do this or else. Your children know they have to hit your prescribed marks or you will withhold love. Is this true of you? Praise God that he does not do these things. 
I thank him that his love does not have levels for acceptance, levels of righteousness. It's not like an arcade game. The higher the level, the greater the reward, or in this case, the more love you get from the Father. You see, Christ has already hit the highest level. The Son of God gave the perfect sacrifice on the cross, which was thoroughly satisfying to our Father. There is nothing to add to that work. What is our job? Accept the work of the Son and live in the freedom of the Father's love. Do you love your children just cause? Now, maybe you ought to walk by your son and rub his head and tell him you love him just cause. If he is older, you may want to do something else that communicates your approval of him. How about if you squeeze your daughter's hand and tell her that you love her? And if she asks why, say, just cause. You're my daughter. And I thank God he gave you to me. You are my gift, and I appreciate you. I do pray that way often as I thank God that I get to be their children, uh, (laughs) that I get to be their parent. I love you. I mean, I thank God I get to be the parent in this operation, and you are the gifts, and I love you, and I thank God that he has given you to me. I am the lucky one, or for those who are theological nerds, I am the sovereign lucky one. Let them know you love them often and without an expectation that they meet your requirements. You see, there's another time to talk about holiness and obedience, and following hard after God. But there is always time to say, I love you. Do you want to blow their minds? Try this. This is really something. One of the best times to show your affection is just after they sin. It is an excellent time to reaffirm your love for them. Surprise them with grace which is better than yelling at them or reminding them what a disappointment they were because what they did at that moment. You see, grace is how our Father treats us. Now, I know some people will be saying at this juncture, well, what about when they do do wrong? What about when there is disobedience? Is this just love, 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 love? And there's no teeth, there's no discipline, there's no holiness? No, I do want you to follow the context of this podcast. I'm talking about one thing, not two things. I have written on parental discipline, and and we know, and hopefully those who have listened for a while know, you don't excuse sin. You don't overlook all your children's sins. That's not love either. But think about this. Even your discipline is in a context of love. Because the, law, because the Lord loves those that he chastens. One aspect of engaging a child for their disobedience is making sure they know you're crazy in love with them. And so for this podcast, in context, the question is, are you crazy in love with your children? And then the follow-up question is, do they know it? Let me hit a few questions in the call to action part of this podcast. Number one, is there any hint in your child's heart 
that he has to perform or she has to perform for you because you have put that notion in his heart. Or your children in the uh, motif of Biff and Mabel and Marge and Bart who learned early that they have to hit a certain mark in order to receive the approval of a parent? Is there any hint in your child's heart that they have to perform for you because you put that notion there? Number two, it's one thing for them to feel like they need to please you, like the way Adam and Eve did, but it's a horrible thing if a parent pushes them toward people-pleasing. You see, it's instinctive in children because of total depravity. They know that they want to be a part of community, and they know they want belonging and acceptance, but again, you throw in a pinch, and it's more than a pinch of total depravity. You throw that in, they sense a need to please Well, I get that, but it would be horrible if a parent pushes them toward people-pleasing. I appeal to any parent, do not make your children work for your affection. It cannot go well for them or you if this is part of your parenting model. Number three, I have asked you several other questions throughout this podcast, and you can go through the article if you want to read it to pull them out. I won't repeat them here, but the title of the article in this podcast, When You Make Your Children or When You Make Your Child Work for Your Affection. You can type the word affection into the search box if it's not on the home page, if it's down in our archive because it's been sitting there for a while. It's fresh now as I'm doing it right now, so it's on the front page, but it won't always be there. And I have asked you several questions throughout, and so you can go in and get this article and, and go back through them. Will you do that? And then perhaps if you would talk to a, a friend about what you have heard here, what you have read from the article, and the answers that you provided, maybe it will stimulate a richer conversation and needed areas to address. And then finally, as you do these things, Just what is one specific and practical way you can change? You see, you can repent at the moment of sin. Let's say you get angry at your child. You can repent at that moment, and that will clean up an episode. But there is another kind of repentance that changes patterns. Is there an episode of anger, impatience, disappointment that you should address with your child? Is there a pattern that you should address? Thank you so much for listening to the podcast.